Hello, and welcome to the Heart of Equity podcast from the Heartland chapter of the National Association of Health Services Executives, also known as NASI. I'm your host, Pleasant Bradford Jr. I am a health equity professional, a healthcare leader, and a member of the NASI Heartland chapter. In our last episode, we talked with Minnesota State Representative Cedric Frazier about health equity and voting. Let's continue the conversation. What do you hope to see as the immediate impact of the Restore the Vote law specifically related to health equity? And what are those long-term health impacts to this? So immediately, we held a press conference and held an event on June the 1st, um, the moment that the law went into effect. Uh, We had the Secretary of State there. We had some other electors there. We had individuals that were impacted and some of the uh, organizations that were part of the coalition to uh, get this done. And and what we did was after that, after we talked about the law, after we talked about the journey to get here, and after hearing from impacted folks and hearing from the Secretary of State, we went out and we knocked on doors to register people to vote. And the idea is that we're going to spur people to come out that have not uh, been out historically or recently to come out, register the vote, and participate and start to vote, but specifically the over 50,000 individuals that we, that we restored the right to vote back to them when this law went into place. So immediately what I'm hoping for is those over 50,000 people will get engaged, will start to have an impact, to have their voices heard in their community um, as part of the democratic process. And from a health disparity perspective, I think you, 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 you're gonna, what you're going to see because of the disproportionality of folks that were impacted by felony voter disenfranchisement. What you're going to see is those individuals are also also those same individuals that fall within those disparity gaps that we see in our healthcare system, right? What we see in healthcare outcomes. So now, given those individuals the ability to engage in a democratic process in a way, they can go out and advocate for issues and vote for and advocate for representatives in our elected bodies that represent and will do something in terms of presenting legislation, advocating for legislation, voting for legislation, and passing legislation that will help cure some of these healthcare outcome disparities that we see within our state. Absolutely. Let's look at this at a national level. Minnesota is unique for Mm -hmm. sure, but it isn't unique in terms of voting for convicted felons. For example, the states of Maine and Vermont have no restrictions on voting for convicted felons. When you were creating this bill over the past 20 years, did you reference these two states when authoring this bill? And what are some of the similarities and differences to their bills in these specific states versus the Minnesota version? The biggest difference is that in those states, in Vermont and Maine, you never lose your access to the franchise. Even if you're incarcerated, it doesn't matter if you're convicted, it doesn't matter if you're incarcerated, you never lose your access to the franchise. So, and, and here's the important piece about that is right, even individuals that have been incarcerated, they're serving time, uh, they're being held accountable for that. And I believe in accountability, right? They still have a voice, they should still have a voice. I think they still have a perspective. They have a unique perspective, right? (laughs) They have a unique perspective about the criminal justice system, about what's happening in that criminal justice system, what's happening inside the prisons, right? Why should we exclude those voices 
from being heard, right? And if you go back again and you look at the historical context, back in the prior to like 1840, there were like very few states that had felony disenfranchised laws. But in those few states that did have it prior to 1840, they didn't enforce them. They didn't take away individuals' right to vote. Now, we probably know why, <laughs> because, because, because there were certain people that already didn't have, they, they didn't have a right to vote already, right? Those that were enslaved couldn't vote already. So what we look at is when the changes happened, it really, those changes really came around, again, based on race, excluding certain demographics from participating in the, in the franchise. Uh, but those are the differences between, you know, uh, Maine and Vermont versus this bill is that you never lose the right at all. And we had, when we debated this bill on the floor, it did come up. Is that where we're headed? Are we headed to the point where you will never lose your access to the franchise if you are incarcerated? And I asked one of my Republican colleagues if they were offered an amendment to make it so, because I would have accepted yeah. it on the spot and we could have yeah. voted on that. Um, and I do think that's ultimately where we need to go. Because as I said, no one should be forgotten about. No one should lose their voice um, because they've been incarcerated. Why haven't more states adopted this type of bill, specifically, as you said, just restoring the vote at a basic level, but at a higher level, really not losing access to the franchise? Why don't we see more states adopting this type of, of work? Listen, I honestly believe there are still certain individuals that believe that certain folks should not have a voice in our democracy. You know, as much as those individuals will, will claim that we have freedom of speech and that our constitution is absolute, they very much believe that certain folks should not participate in our democracy. I liken it to this. After this last election, when, when young people turned out in historic numbers and cast their ballots, we saw the elections down in Georgia, turned out well for uh, the Democratic Party. We saw the presidential race turn out well for the Democratic Party. We then had folks from many of the states that don't have laws that, that ensure people have access to the franchise say, you know what, maybe there should be an age restriction on when we are allowed to vote. And again, I think that when you have folks that believe that if certain people vote, it means that things are not going to be the way that I want them to be. If it means that my policies are not going to be the policies that I can implement, even if it's a minority view, I think you often will find that they will look for ways to suppress or exclude folks from the uh, franchise of voting. One of the most critical ways you can help promote health equity is to make sure your health system is doing business with Black-owned companies. This creates career opportunities, builds generational wealth, and allows us to control our own resources. For our Buy Black Vendor Spotlight, we'd like to highlight Crutchfield Dermatology. Crutchfield Dermatology is a dermatologist's office in Egan, Minnesota. Before his recent passing, Dr. Crutchfield was recognized as one of the nation's leading authorities on skin of color. For more information, please go to www.crutchfielddermatology.com. Now, let's get back to our discussion. Well, you mentioned that you, you did door knocking, and that's so important regardless of, of what happens. If there's a win or a loss, it's always important to stay connected to the community. 
what has the reception been for this bill? Are people excited? Are they are they hesitant? As you mentioned before, that there might be some hesitancy, especially with this this lawsuit that's in place right now. What has been the reception? I think overwhelmingly positive for those that we've talked to. Now I say we don't we don't we're working on getting information to ensure that we can try to reach as many of those over fifty thousand people that this impacts. And so we're working with the Department of Corrections. We're working with the uh, Secretary of State. Um, the Secretary of State was was given directions to put information on their website, um, also to put information on any pamphlets that they put out informing folks that their rights are restored to vote. Um, but I would say it's overwhelmingly positive. Like I said, they're, they're, and I believe that lawsuit was aimed at hearing that positivity, seeing the energy from that was aimed at kind of quelching some of that. But I think I would say it's still overwhelmingly positive and we're going to continue to be out talking to folks. As you said, it's important to be out in the community and having these conversations. We're going to continue to be out talking to folks to ensure that everyone knows that, that they can participate in our democracy, even if you were convicted of a felony at some point. Well, in these conversations that you're having, I'm sure people fall all across the spectrum. Not everyone is in favor of this bill, but not everyone is opposing the bill. If you have to convince anyone who thinks that their vote doesn't matter about the importance of voting, I know you've, you've weaved this throughout the conversation. What is that 30, 60 second pitch to that person? What I always tell folks when I hear anyone say, look, I don't do politics, what I say is, regardless of whether or not you want to avail yourself and understand and stay informed about politics, politics will have an impact on you every single day of your life. And so if you if, you, if there's something you don't like, if there's a rule, if there's a law that you don't like, that you think impacts you in an adverse way and it's not fair. The only way you can have an impact on that is to get engaged in the political process, the democratic process, and have your voice heard. Organize others that see it the same way you do, and you move forward, and that's how you can effectuate change for the better for everyone. I can always, in most cases, wherever I am in that local in that local place or talk to that individual, I'll give them an example of a particular law or something that they may not like, and I'll say, you know what, you can help change that if you participate. You show up at the Capitol, you organize a group of folks to show up to the Capitol, and you can help change that. Yeah, empowering communities to use their voice to to make change is, is so important. What role do health systems and healthcare professionals play in promoting voting rights and voter engagement? You know, healthcare institutions, uh, systems, leaders in the healthcare industry, I think it is very important for you all to inform people of, of their rights, right? Because legislation, government regulations, it has an impact on healthcare. And so you should be informing the folks that you, that your customers, your consumers that you serve, of these are some rights that you have to participate in democracy. And if there's something you don't like about the healthcare system, if you don't think it's affordable, if you don't think it covers the things that you need covered, if you think you don't have access in a way that is uh, beneficial to you, and important to your life, to your life, and not only your life, but your family, right, and your well-being, there are ways that you can impact that. Voting is one of them. Man, just tons and tons of, of drop mics here. You're just <laughs> dropping the mic here and there. I absolutely <laughs> love it. 
Continuing with this healthcare trend, what are some tips that you would share with Black healthcare executives when it comes to the connection of health equity and voting? What are some things that that we can do to strengthen that connection? The impact that Black leaders in healthcare can have, particularly, because we know historically in this country, like I said, when we look at the disparities, uh, there are huge disparities in the health outcomes for people of color, particularly Black people. We saw that play out in real time during the pandemic. We saw the damage that was done to the Black community and, and communities of color. In a large part, that damage was done because of the underlying health issues that many in the Black community have. And you can draw a through line to why that is the case when you look at the history. If you have been denied access to proper nutrition, to, um, to preventative medical um, appointments, and things of that nature, you tend to have these underlying health issues. If you don't have proper medical coverage because it's tied to a job, and if you don't have jobs that always provide an inadequate uh, amount of, of coverage for folks and access, right? You're gonna have these underlying health conditions that are persistent in certain communities, or particularly in the black community, right? We, we, we know that that's the case. And so for me, what I'm looking for and what I'm urging leaders in, in this space, particularly black leaders is to Talk to folks about those disparities. Talk to your elected officials about those disparities. Encourage them to put policies in place to uh, to help close and remove those disparities. Talk to the folks that you serve. Talk to the patients. Talk to talk to your workers. Hire people. Hire people that are closest to those issues in the community. And, and this is, I heard someone say this, and I believe it to be absolute. I think Ayanna Presley said this, right? Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. She said. Those that are impacted the most, those that suffer the most, should be closest to the power. When they're closest to the power, they can effectuate the change, to change things for the better, for themselves, also for those that are in the same boat as them or the same community as them. That is a message I would give, and that's what I think the impact that uh, leaders, Black leaders in healthcare can have on the issues that we see in healthcare today. There's no better way to end that. Those who are closest to the problem should be closest to the power. Representative Cedric Frazier, thank you so much for joining the podcast, for sharing your insight on the connection of health equity and voting. My pleasure, brother. Anytime. If you're a healthcare executive in Minnesota, Nebraska, the Dakotas, Iowa, Kansas, or Missouri who cares about health equity for people of color, please consider joining the National Association of Health Services Executives Heartland Chapter at nasiheartland.org. That is N-A-H-S-E heartland.org. For more episodes of the Heart of Equity podcast, subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. And while you're there, please leave us a comment. Thank you for listening.